listener-supported St. Gabriel Catholic Radio AM820 brings you Dominican Dimensions, a half hour of lively discussion about Catholic issues from a Dominican perspective, featuring the friars from St. Patrick Church in Columbus. And now, Dominican Dimensions. Welcome to the Dominican Dimensions, a half hour of lively discussion about Catholic issues from a Dominican perspective. My name is Father Stephen Alcott, and I'm a friar at St. Patrick Priory in Columbus. Today I'm joined in the studio by my confrere, Father Raymond Snyder. Let's begin with a prayer to Our Lady. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Amen. Today we're going to talk about philosophy. Father Raymond is studying philosophy on the doctoral level at the Pontifical University of St. Thomas Aquinas in Rome, also known as the Angelicum. So maybe, Father Raymond, why don't you tell us a little bit about your studies and your teaching and, and, and why you chose philosophy? Well, thank you. It's great to be here, and it's great to uh, be back, I should say, because I joined the show several years ago when I was assigned here in Columbus at St. Patrick's. I am in Rome now. That's right in my the capacity as a doctoral student, doing a little bit of teaching as well. And I'm studying philosophy to get a, a doctorate in philosophy to be able to ultimately teach and join a faculty of philosophy, which I know it doesn't surprise people to know that priests study theology and that the seminarians study theology and that certain priests and boy, it sure seems like a lot of Dominicans go on to get a doctorate in theology uh, to teach theology. But it's important to recognize a, that philosophy has its has its role and, well, they need philosophy teachers and that's what I'm uh, in the process of becoming. Uh, philosophy, we can define really as the use of human reason in a systematic way uh, to arrive at truth. And that means that it starts with actually our human experience of the world. Whereas in theology, we start with what God has told us, God has revealed in the scriptures, uh, in Christ ultimately as the fullness of revelation. In philosophy, we start with very, very basic truths that we all become aware of, even as children, uh, before we can articulate it, we know that there is a reality and that our senses, our minds are in touch with that reality and that, well, you know, they, they've even done studies that show that babies have a real sense of, of the way things ought to be from a, from a very young age. You know, if you, they show them images that, that, that suddenly are erratic or don't follow the, the, the laws of nature, so to speak, or the, the, the laws, um, what we call the first principles of reason. That, that a thing is almost in two places at once, or it doesn't continue. Uh, and these startle the baby a bit, and they, they take interest and follow them. It shows us some insight that, that even very, very young children begin to form a notion of, well, ultimately truth, we can say. And these principles upon which all of the rest of our human reasoning is based. Those things that can't even be taught, they're, they're just known almost immediately um, upon our, our experience of the world over time. Wow. Yeah, so, so many people wonder, you know, why, why philosophy? Like, especially for, um, for those preparing for the priesthood, there's so much to learn. You know, there's, uh, of course, the scripture and um, the teachings of the church. The priest has to know how to celebrate mass and the sacraments. The priest needs to do a little bit of canon law, needs to know about the, the uh, you know, how to, how to give a little bit of counseling, 
how to administrate a parish, you know, so, so as soon as philosophy gets thought of as, you know, something that's, I hate to say it, second class, but, but as you pointed out, it's something that, that really is, is completely foundational. And, and wouldn't you say that perhaps maybe it's becoming even more important in, in, the, in these, this day and age? I certainly would say that. And uh, thinking even at a very practical level about things priests do, one of the things I, I realized in the course of bringing people into the church with RCIA is just how many of them had um, deep philosophical questions, or I should say that a lot of their misunderstandings about the Catholic faith really had a philosophical problem. For, for example, one of the hallmarks of... Thomism of um, the study of St. Thomas and his, let's say, body of teaching is that there isn't a rivalry between God's action and ours. In other words, God can act in our hearts and our minds in a, in a way that respects, not only respects, but even guarantees our human freedom because he exercises his actions in a completely different level. Um, a, we talk about different levels of being, different analogical relationships between being. But the way to summarize it is simply to say that when we, let's say, make an act of faith, which requires God's power, it's both our act, 100%, and God's act, 100%. There's no rivalry. And a lot of the misunderstandings about grace, about conversion, uh, arise out of this thinking of God as though he's only capable of being a very big creature. You know, he's just like another human agent who can influence us by what he says, but he can't reach down deep within our hearts and change us. Uh, he can't actually guarantee our freedom from within. And that's really a philosophical issue uh, about causality, which is one of the things actually it touches upon. Upon my, my current research, I'm, I'm working a lot on this book that was important in the Middle Ages called The Book of Causes. Hmm. Uh, and St. Thomas had a, a really powerful set of insights about that book. Um, so anyway, causality is one of many examples of where philosophy touches upon theology, but, but even more to the daily life of us all, touches upon the spiritual life. You know, there, we need God in order to act. And certainly we need him in order to act in a spiritual life. And so, so many things, you might often hear this referred to as the Catholic both and. We don't have to choose. When talking about things, we don't say, is this God doing it or is this me doing it? Well, with certain things like acts of faith, hope, and charity, uh, it's both. It's both the Lord who works in our hearts abundantly and it's we who freely choose as human agents, elevated by him. Yeah, and... Um in the gospel, at one point, Jesus uh, rejoices that God has revealed himself to the little ones. Um, I think that can also be translated to, 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 the, to the merest infants. And, and he's, then he goes on to say, you know, take my yoke upon your shoulders and learn from me, for I'm meek and humble of heart. And uh, that, that, that perhaps echoes in the Old Testament some of the wisdom traditions in the Old Testament, like you take the yoke upon your shoulder. But it, perhaps it... it, it Maybe that gets a little bit to that point of how mm -hmm. it can be both and, you know, mm -hmm. we're, we're, we're taking the yoke of Christ, but we're not alone. Mm -hmm. You know, he's working with us. He's acting at the same time. Absolutely. And, you know, there's even that saying in Greek, pathos mathos, which effectively we could translate to, we learn through what we, we suffer and endure. It's interesting how we, we're all used to hearing, well, you learn a lot of things on the ground or through experience. Well, even that notion of experience is closely linked to the notion of suffering. 
And yeah, that gospel you highlight, that, that gospel you just highlighted really is one that brings that to our minds that, especially when it comes to the lofty realities of our faith, like the so-called wisdom of the cross, as Paul coins it, mm-hmm. is something we, we learn by experience, but also, most importantly, by God's elevation. It's not something that makes sense to any philosopher uh, in the ancient world, or ever really could, um, that, that suffering could be elevated uh, to be salvific. And so it, there's something in our, in our minds that even, even if we believe in, if we've been believers our whole life, there's that kind of residual way of thinking that belongs to what St. Paul calls the old man. Mm-hmm. And it's the old man in us. <laughs> mm-hmm. I think a lot of people, when they say old man, they mean their, their father or their grandfather. <laughs> but at least my father referred to my grandfather like that often. Um, but St. Paul means um, that human way of thinking. You know, yes, we believe in Christ. Yes, we have the faith. But there still is a human way of seeing and thinking that needs to be transcended um, by, by faith. But I suppose now we're wading into more theology, and we're supposed to be talking about philosophy. <laughs> Yeah. Um, one way to approach this would be like, you know, for Catholics, um, you know, what, what happens if we don't understand philosophy? You mentioned about someone in RCIA who, who thinks it's, it's, it's either or, either God is doing this or I'm doing it. You know, it's either 50-50 or 30-70 or it can't be 100-100. Um, we, we find other ways sometimes and people fall into these errors. I mean, one, one thing that can be common today when speaking about faith is, yeah, okay, well, that's, that's true for you, you know, but, but this is true for me. You know, the Catholic religion, sure, that's all true, that's all well and good and true for you, but for me, I believe in this other thing or this other thing or this other totally, which is even though, like, the fact that you could have two contradictory beliefs and think that, oh, yeah, you know, that, that's, that's, there's no, they don't see any issue with that. Let's just, let's just coexist. I mean, not that it's a bad thing to coexist with people in peace, but but people might take that too far. Are there other examples of which, what can happen if we don't understand philosophy? Certainly. And I think uh, one, of the, one of the great recent documents on, on philosophy and its role in the faith was John Paul II's Fides at Ratio. Mm-hmm. And one of the points he makes, it's not original with him, but it's, it's, it was significant for him to reiterate it, which is that everyone has a philosophy, uh, it's just some are aware of them. And mm-hmm. and I, I think actually that's the advantage of, for example, in the wisdom of the church, having seminarians study philosophy. It's not just so that they can understand theology. It's also to make them aware, uh, let's say, of some of the presuppositions or the underlying sets of belief that they have about the world and uh, that those they will encounter in ministry, some of the underlying ways of thinking that they have uh, there's even a classic joke. Let's see if I can remember. It says the church wants seminarians uh, to study all of these, some of them very wild philosophies that, that don't seem to have anything to do with Catholicism. They seem to be rather opposed. The church wants seminarians to study this so that they not be attracted by any of them <laughs> <laughs> or that they can see through them a bit better. And uh, I think that's, that's significant and worth remembering. Uh, what are other ways we can run into problems? That's a great question. Um, certainly, we're all familiar with this with this sense, this false irenicism, or this sense that oh, everything's fine. We can all have our own truths, and we all have our own strong opinions. But we know that doesn't last. We know that those will ultimately come into conflict. Um, 
And we know that, well, there needs to be an ultimate reality. And, and, and people who deny there is a single objective reality out there, uh, there are, they're effectively transposing the subjective order of their own mind and heart onto the world. Mm. People that deny there is any objective reality out there end up undermining their own argument because uh, they're effectively denying those very first innate principles, I shouldn't say innate, intuitive principles that we have, that a thing cannot be and not be at the same time and in the same respect. There's even one of the Arab philosophers who famously said, um, uh, whoever denies the first principle of uh, of speculative reason, the principle of contradiction, should should have his hand thrust into the fire <laughs> until until he agrees that for his hand to be in the fire and to not be in the fire are not the same thing. <laughs> that it's one thing for it to be in the fire and one for it not to be. So that's that's an interesting point. You, you know, there's those that hold the moral subjectivism and that leads them to have a total subjectivism, but that's a, a difficult position to maintain both of those because ultimately they they cut off their own legs in the sense mm. you say I wholeheartedly believe, believe as my ultimate bedrock first principle that there are no first principles. <laughs> it denies itself to say um, that all truth is subjective and there's no absolute truth. Well, and, and you'd have to at least end that phrase in maybe <laughs> to be coherent. Uh, so anyway, they end up con- contradicting themselves. And I, I think... Uh, that's one of the things that studying philosophy helps us is to become aware of the tensions in our own thought and clarify our own our own reasoning. You're listening to The Dominican Dimensions, a half hour of lively discussion about Catholic issues from a Dominican perspective. My name is Father Stephen Alcott, and I'm a friar at St. Patrick Priory in Columbus. Today I'm joined in the studio by Father Raymond Snyder, and we've been discussing philosophy. What is it? Why is it important for Catholics? Why should those preparing for the priesthood learn about it, and what happens if we don't understand it? What are the errors we can fall into? Um, and some of them can be very subtle. Like I, uh, one of my favorite authors is C.S. Lewis, and in his book, The Abolition of Man, he spoke about how uh, he was looking at this textbook, and the textbook said, um, two people look at a beautiful look at a waterfall, and one person says, "Wow, this waterfall is beautiful." But then the textbook explains what this person means is that he has beautiful feelings about this waterfall. It doesn't mean that there's anything innately beautiful about the waterfall. So you see, if you know philosophy, you see immediately what's happening. You know, you're you're taking away um, these qualities of truth or goodness or beauty from reality, mm-hmm. and you're just putting them in the person's subjective mind so that mm-hmm. you're, so you're, you're taking away, um, you're really, you know, which is something as you were saying earlier, Father Raymond, you know, even infants, you know, before they can speak, perceive there is an innate objectivity to reality. You know, I think if I was that third friend in that example, um, and make a crack as I'm inclined to do and to, to try to both, um, critique, but also enlighten, as humor can do, I would say, well, have we asked the waterfall how it feels? (laughs) Waterfall, are you feeling beautiful today? Uh, There's another way to take the angle. (laughs) Obviously, the waterfall doesn't doesn't have its own agency. We could even argue whether it's a substance Hmm. with Heraclitus, who famously uses a river as the kind of thing that that can't stay the same, mm-hmm. and then taking that as a moniker for all reality, that, that it's, it's just constant flux. There is no permanence or even substance. 
but I think what what that the truth's often in the middle, right? Um, so to say this is beautiful, and to say no, you're saying you have a beautiful feeling. Well, okay, let's say that feeling, that sentiment, that's a response to something, mm-hmm. is a response to something objective and something that could be recognized by all. Uh, one hopes. Uh, except for those waterfall haters out there. Um, <laughs> they probably don't like sunsets either. Um, but there, there's something about the harmony. I think nature reminds us of this palpably. Uh, when we enjoy nature, we see, especially um, the beauty of things as they are, as they've been created even, and in particular, the harmony of the whole, both the harmony of the thing itself, whether it's a, a tree with good proportions and beautiful leaves and all, all of that, or the harmony of the tree in the midst of the forest. And I think that it's that concord of individuals that gives us a, a bigger perspective and often triggers this insight, this aesthetic insight, that this is beautiful, sometimes arrestingly so, it leads us to stop. Mm. Um, so the, those... It's fun to, to enter in. I mean, that's that's where so many of the Platonic dialogues start with conversations just like that. Uh, where is the beauty, Socrates? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, <laughs> mm-hmm. Yes, and in, even in, in much more, you know, um, life and death ways. I mean, today, sometimes, you know, if you argue about the value of human life, some people say, oh, that's you're bringing religion, you know, into, uh, you know, into this arena that really should just be decided by, you know, the will of the majority or, or a political decision or a law or a Supreme Court decision. Um, you know, that's that, you know, whether someone believes that the child in the womb is, is actually a human person or not, that's something that that's, that's really the subject of opinion or what, what, how people vote. So, so we see how, you know, philosophy, you know, for example, you know, if if a seminarian is learning philosophy, he can he can distinguish. Well, no, this really has nothing to do with religion at all. You know, you don't even have to bring religion into the picture to to look at these principles mm-hmm. about about life and mm-hmm. causality and 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 how you can't say that you know because I said so or because mm-hmm. people voted, this is no longer a human person mm-hmm. after the first trimester or whatever, or or they're no longer a human person after they you know, lose mm-hmm. some of their faculties mm-hmm. when they're very old. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And, you know, this makes me think of what Aquinas says at the beginning of either of the Summa and in a few other places as well, um, that there are certain truths, of course, people can recognize by the use of reason alone, but there's all sorts of reasons why that's difficult. Mm-hmm. And there's all sorts of reasons why God in his mercy revealed even those things we could have arrived at through sound philosophy. Mm-hmm. Because I think if we're being realistic, we could see that we as, as human beings, wounded as we are by the fall, uh, have difficulty facing the facts when it involves changing our lives. Mm. And so for someone to say, oh, I don't believe God exists for this, that, and reason, well, you know, God makes demands on us, rightfully so, or belief in God rightfully affects the way we live. And so there was a, there's a document of the Church Humani Generis that, that classically put this, it's quoted in the Catechism, that people are inclined to disbelieve or at least regard as doubtful um, those things that would make them change their lives, those truths mm-hmm. that are, quote-unquote, uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't make them less true, you know? Right. Just as there's a subjective error of saying, this or that's beautiful and everyone else is wrong except my truth, mm-hmm. there's a subjective error in saying, uh, well... 
this is hard and I don't want it to be true. So I'm going to throw all my doubts at it. I'm going to be content with whatever objection I've ever heard. And I think studying philosophy does two things. One, it helps us to see through that. Mm -hmm. But two, it gives us great hope in knowing these are human beings endowed with reason. And even maybe before they come to the faith, they can begin to see the reasonableness Mm -hmm. of of these truths that affect our lives in very deep ways. Mm -hmm. So uh, for the Catholics listening to this radio program, uh, suppose they decide, well, I would like to learn a little bit more about philosophy. I would like to, to understand more about how human raise, how, how human reason is important, especially in my life as a Catholic. What are some mm-hmm. ways you'd recommend for them to pursue that? Well, uh, I know that they already have quite a bit of following, but I'll, it's worth echoing. The Thomistic Institute Aquinas 101 videos are, are excellent, especially the ones, the earlier ones pertaining to philosophy would be useful for this topic. Uh, I'm quite fond of, and I u- I've used in a couple different teaching contexts, three little books by Father Pierre-Marie Imonet. And the first one is called The Dearest Freshness, Deep Down Things. Hmm. And they are, are beautiful. They're almost a little poetic introduction to philosophy because they start with the idea that philosophy starting points are things available to all. And really intuitions held even by artists and authors uh, over the years. And so he really does a great job integrating those philosophical insights or drawing those philosophical insights out of, of literature and art. And they're a delight to read, and they're not, they're not too hard. Um, those three little books, The Dearest Freshness, Deep Down Things, um, The Greatest Marvel of Nature, and uh, God in the Mirror of the World. Those are the three books. Uh, so I like those, but then there's plenty of great, great introductions out there. Um, at, at every level, uh, in, in, in the tall, grande, and venti sizes, depending on <laughs> how, how one uh, wants to go about it. Right now, just ha- how do you spell Imone? Imone is E-M-O-N-E-T. He was a Swiss Dominican friar. Imone, okay. So Imone, um, the Aquinas 101 videos from the Thomistic Institute. You could probably just Google Aquinas 101, Thomistic Institute. They'll probably find you through algorithms before you <laughs> find them. <laughs> That's you know. right. They know your friends are watching them. <laughs> you know. And then you mentioned also Fides et Ratio, was it for those that would like to read John Paul II. And Absolutely, a classic. Yeah. Um, what, what about if people want to go a little further into the more like the grande or the venti <laughs> <laughs> level of, of, of deepening their understanding of philosophy? I find that um, there, are, there, are, there are these excellent books written by D.Q. McInerney, not to be confused with his brother Ralph McInerney, although his books are great too. D.Q. McInerney has a series of books that came out of his teaching of seminarians and he has one dedicated effectively to each course in a seminary curriculum, in the traditional seminary curriculum. So he has one uh, just called Philosophy of Nature, one called Philosophical Psychology, Epistemology, Natural Theology, Metaphysics. Uh, he has a little book on logic. That might actually be a good start. Mm-hmm. It's called Being Logical. It goes through different logical fallacies. Um, it's, it's, it's quite easy to read. Um, but I, I quite like those books. That's one of the, some of the first stuff I, I really uh, dug into on my own uh, in college, and I think they're I think they really retained their value very well. Mm. Wonderful. Um, so just in, in closing, uh, what are, what are some of the things when, as as in your your experience of teaching philosophy so far? What are some ways in which you've found 
you know, some of this, your students really are connecting with things? Or what, are some, what, what, is, what has that been like teaching something that you really have come to like? It's a great delight. And I think that one of the advantages of philosophy, particularly when we talk about metaphysics, which is the highest branch of philosophy, is we begin to really see things from the top down. We see principles that are at work at every level. Uh, my own personal research is is specifically geared to some of the Neoplatonic principles, so principles from the, the Platonist tradition of Plato and, and followers through the centuries. Aquinas adapts and integrates a lot of their principles in very interesting ways. Um, but, for example, seeing um, the, the analogical relationship between different grades of being um, and the fact that there's even kind of blurry lines. So it's, it's not surprising, philosophically speaking, that, for example, God created a creature like the Venus flytrap, which is a plant mm. but can kind of react. Um, mm. that's, that shows us something of, of the continuity of creation, the harmony of the whole, uh, or even that there are animals that anticipate properties of human intelligence. Um, that doesn't mean they're as intelligent as human beings. That doesn't mean that being human isn't special. It just shows us rather that there are these qualities. For example, when the sheep can identify a wolf, that's mm -hmm. the classic example of the, the estimative sense, we call it, without ever having known a wolf, that instinct um, to identify something almost as though they're making a judgment and, a, and, a, and reasoning, but they're not. That's that's. That's the estimative sense at work, we say. I think that's a beautiful thing, and, and I don't know, I'm rather passionate about that principle. I wrote my, my, uh, my license thesis on that principle of continuity, and it's one thing that, that becomes a sort of touchstone for me in explaining the big picture. I think that's one of the great things about Aquinas' philosophy is we can look at the big picture of the natural world, and that is often the, the best introduction for then talking about theology and the recreation we have in Christ. Wonderful. Thanks, Father Raymond. And thank you, listeners, for joining us today for the Dominican Dimensions. My name is Father Stephen Alcott, and I'm a friar at St. Patrick Priory in Columbus. I've been joined today in the studio by Father Raymond Snyder. Let's end with a prayer invoking the intercession of our holy founder, St. Dominic. O light, light of the, the church, church, teacher of truth, rose of patience, patience ivory of chastity, freely, freely you have poured forth the waters of wisdom, preacher of grace, unite, unite us with the blessed. blessed. Amen. Dominican Dimensions is a production of listener-supported St. Gabriel Catholic Radio AM820. Archives of Dominican Dimensions and all of our locally produced programs are available at stgabrielradio.com. Veni, son.